This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Exodus chapter 25, and we're dealing with building the Ark of the Covenant. And we talked about yesterday how much fun it is to deal with this artifact, this item that God places so much emphasis on in in, in the worship and in the whole process of coming in and having a relationship with him. It is a important item to understand because we talked about yesterday, it represents really two things. It represents salvation and salvation of what? God is saving our soul. He is not uh, saving our flesh. He is not saving our spirit because our spirit, uh, we were born without a spirit because of our father Adam's curse. He, in the day he ate of the fruit of that tree, he surely died. And what died? Soul didn't die. His flesh didn't die. Although the process of death became a part of his flesh, what happened is in the finite period of time that he ate the fruit of that tree, he his spirit died. And that was the breath of life that God breathed into him. And, and so what was left was a soul and flesh. And God himself has a plan for that. He had a plan for that in that he made it possible for us to be born again. And that's the whole conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus have in the first part of the book of John. And that is, that's explained. And that is how we're justified before him because we have, we have a perfect sinless spirit that is placed inside of us at the new birth, but that does not fix the two other issues that are going on completely. That does not fix our heart or our soul, our heart and our mind, our emotions and our intellect that come together to make us the unique person that we are, that does not fix our soul. And it surely does not fix our flesh because our flesh are so, is so sinful. And so when you're studying the Ark of the Covenant, there's an emphasis placed on two items, which I think are very interesting. You, as you would think, the, the primary emphasis in this passage as, as he's explaining all this and going through how to create the Ark is on the covering on the uh, lid that goes on top of what is, in essence, a uh, chest, a uh, box, a what would might other people would describe as a miniature coffin, but it's not a coffin. It's literally a chest. It's uh, it's a literally a place of importance where uh, people now nowadays we just buy furniture willy nilly. We can find it anywhere. But back uh, when I was back when I was really young, people had great emphasis on a chest in their house. And what do you mean by a chest? It would just be a box, a big giant wooden box. And oftentimes they place their most important items in those boxes. First of all, it's easy to move and get get out of the house if if there's a fire. It is it is a place where you can keep the most treasured items of your life. 
It is, and easily find them because you know what they're in the chest. If you've served in the military, maybe not uh, recently. I don't know that they give them chests now when they, they give them foot, foot lockers is what they call them. I don't know if they give them to them now, but when I was in the military, you would have your foot locker and you'd have put all your items in that foot locker. And, and that was the place where everything that was important for you to be a, a soldier were in. And it was important that you keep it, keep it clean and that you keep it organized, and that everything had a place for it. Well, <clears throat> in many ways, all those pictures are pictures of our heart. And this ark is a picture of our heart, our soul, who we really are in the very inner parts of who, how we function, how we operate, how we interact with the world, how we interact with God, how we interact with other human beings. And it's very important. And the lid is the place where the lid is the place where God dwelt. It's in between the two cherubs. And so obviously God's going to spend a lot of time with that. But the second most most time is spent with how to carry the ark or how to move the ark around. And that starts in uh, verse 12. And it says, cast four rings for it and fasten them to the four feet. So there's four feet. Uh, and we don't know exactly what they look like. Doesn't give us a, a, a instruction as to how to do that here. And so we're just fastening them to the bottom corners of the ark. And they're supposed to fasten out toward uh, these rings that are, are supposed to be made. It says, then, the, then make poles of acacia wood. Notice again, that wood that symbolizes human beings, human flesh, people. We have that wood again. And it says, and overlay them with gold, meaning that <clears throat> that flesh is even covered by the royalty of God, meaning God has sovereignty even over your evil, sinful flesh. And he can use that flesh for his own glory, and he can push that flesh to do things that that flesh naturally does not want to do. Uh, our sinful flesh, all it wants to do is feed itself. It is it's completely opposite of God. And his desires, but when that when God steps in, he can even control our sovereign flesh by by making it submit to his will and his way. So you have that covering of, of these acacia poles with gold. It's a picture of God even being sovereign over that which is evil. And you go, I don't believe God can be sovereign over evil. He can be, because is he not sovereign over Satan? Yeah, he is. <clears throat> Satan understands that God is in ultimate control. That just because he rebelled against him doesn't mean that he doesn't know that God's in charge. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know that God is the all-powerful God. It just means that he wants to be God. And so when we're studying through that God has sovereignty over all things, all things, not just the things on his side. Oftentimes you say, say, what's the opposite of God? And people just naturally say the devil. No, there's nothing opposite of God. There's no all that's opposite of God is just not God. Okay? You have God and all that he is, and anything that's not that is not God. Okay? That's the opposite of God is not God. Okay? <clears throat> the opposite of Satan would be Gabriel and Michael. Satan was an archangel who desires to be God, who wanted to become God himself. And then you've got Michael and Gabriel, who are both archangels, both equal with Satan, and they have not decided that they wanted to be God. And so you've got the opposite of Satan is Gabriel and Michael. 
the opposite of God is not God. It's the absence of all that God is. You either have God or you have the absence of what God is. And you go, I don't really understand that. Well, it makes perfect sense. You've got you and then everything that's not you. Okay. And in fact, does the not you have to exist? Yeah. In order for you to really be knowable, in order for you to be able to figure out what it is, you've got to know what not being that is. It's like in the darkness. I remember when I was a little kid, this is very strange to me how they did that. But I remember as I was a little kid, they would have these Halloween festivals at the church. Now, as we get to where I am today, I'm sitting back going, I don't know why we did that. But in the part of the Halloween festival, they'd always build this hallway where it's really dark and you'd come up to these tables and it'd just be pitch black and you'd have to You'd have to figure out what was in each bowl, and there'd be slimy stuff and, and things you didn't know, and you just reach around and try to figure out how that worked. And as you did that, <clears throat> you could tell what something was. One way you could tell is by knowing what it what made it what it was, or you could tell that it was not that because obviously, if it's not what that is, then it wouldn't be that. I don't even know if that made any sense to you, but it does make sense. If I say, if I hand you, <clears throat> if I hand you a golf club and tell you that's a pair of glasses and you start feeling it, you don't even have to look at it. You start feeling it and realize there's no lenses on it. Then you realize it's not a golf club because there are things that make up a golf club. And then there's things that make up not a golf club. And one way to identify a golf club is the things that they are. And another way to identify a golf club is the things that it is not. Okay. And so also it is with God. You have God and then you have the things that are not him. And all the things that are not him are not God. And that is opposite of God. And so understanding that's important. Our flesh is oftentimes in rebellion against God, but it is still subject to God's authority. Uh, it is still subject to his will, and God can force human flesh to submit to his will, okay? And so uh, understanding that is important. So what did they do? They took that acacia wood, they covered it with gold, and then the poles were to be stuck through the rings. It says, insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark and carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the of this ark they are not to be removed. It says, then then put in the ark, the tablet of the covenant law, which I will give you, and, and we'll get into that tomorrow. But what he's saying is, he's saying is these poles are to be the poles that carry this heart. Now, who would be carrying this heart, this ark or our heart? It would be our flesh. And our flesh does carry our being inside of it. That's a clear picture of that. Our flesh does carry the heart of man. The soul of man is carried in this broken vessel that is us, okay? But when God is sovereignly in control, there is a separation between the two. We don't function our, our heart, our mind, our passions, our intellect, our the things that make us who we are, are to be separated by God's sovereign will from our flesh and the desires of the flesh. And that is the picture <clears throat> when God comes down and meets with us, that's the picture he's giving us. 
he's giving us a, a clear separation between the two. He's saying, when I dwell with you, I want your heart to be my heart. I don't want your heart to be a heart of stone. I don't want your heart to be a rebellious heart. I don't want your heart to be wrapped up in the flesh and the things of the flesh, but I want your heart, I want your heart to be one with me. And the only way for that to be that way is for me to take my sovereign control over your flesh and for you to make everything about your life about me, about my will and not your will. And that is the salvific process is pulling our thoughts and pulling our emotions and our passions, pulling those two aspects of who we are away from our flesh, away from the sinful desires of our flesh, away from the things that our flesh continues to want to do, pull them away from that and place them in the hands of God and his will and his purpose and his ways. And that's what life in the spirit, that's what life in Christ is all about. That is what the mind of Christ is. It is a mind that is focused on who God is and what he's doing, seeking him out, living by the spirit, living by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, showing us what's going on around us, showing us what's happening. That is God's plan for the life we're in revealing those things to us and separating those things from our fleshly, earthly, human desires. And listen, there's been all kinds of efforts to do that in different ways. You've got the, you've got the monasteries with the monks who just totally separate themselves from the world. That, that does not work. That does not work. They oftentimes get, get, get into feeding their flesh in other ways. And by the way, we're to be in the world and not of the world. We're not to be separated from the world. We're to be in it, but we're to be a mind set apart from it. And so if you just separate the world from, you have separated many of the temptations of the flesh, but you've not separated yourself from your flesh. There, there are thoughts that if I just have the ability to control my mind and I have positive thoughts and I think about the, the good things and I don't li- allow anything negative to enter into my mind, that's, that, that'll work really well. And it doesn't. That doesn't work either because those ideas of how to orient my mind toward positive things is not how it works. What works is to live by the Spirit. What that means is you're in a constant relationship with God. Jesus is our rabbi. He is our teacher. He is our guide. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who's coming and is able to do that fully for us. He reveals us Jesus. He shows us how Jesus lives. He shows us how to walk in his will and his way. And over time, in a very rabbinical Eastern culture way of doing things we walk with God through life and he reveals ourselves to us and he reveals himself to us and we actively choose by the function of our will to walk with him we are separated from our flesh by the sovereignty of God we're separated from our flesh by the sovereign will of God which is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit to our spirit through our soul. And that's what this picture is right here. That's what this picture of these rings and these 
and how to carry the ark because the ark does have to be, because it's our heart, it has to be separated from our flesh. And how we do that will determine how how productive our salvation is, how salvation will, it's the, it is the, if you want to say, where does man's will come in? This is where it comes in, okay? Man cannot choose God. God chooses man. But once God chooses man, then man, through the sanctification process, begins to choose God's will. It's possible that we can do that because God is dwelling with us. If we, It was not possible before. Couldn't happen before, okay? No way for it to happen before because we were separated from God and we no way to know God's will. But once God has come and made us a new creation, once he's given us that new birth, now we have the opportunity, the possibility to choose God's will over everything else. Other people's will, my will, Satan's will, anybody else's will. I can choose God's will over it because it's being revealed to me and I can walk in that will. And that's made possible by God's sovereign presence in my life. And you're going, preacher, this is some stuff I don't, I'm swimming in. I'm not sure how this works. I know you, I know that. I know what you got to do is you got to choose God over yourself. And how do I do that? I learned God's will from his word. I learned his nature and who he is. And I continually apply that to my daily walk and the things that go on in my life. And when I apply it, I learn how it works and functions. And then I learn how to walk in who God is. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Salvation is the hard part, okay? Justification, we don't do anything for it. It's easy, okay? Glorification, just going to happen by the natural functions of death in our flesh. It, when death ha- finally has its full course in our flesh, we're dead. And to be dead in the bodies, to be present with the Lord, so we're glorified before him. The hard part of the Christian life, the difficult part of the Christian life, is the salvation process. It's the sanctification process that God has given us. And it requires us to learn how to separate ourselves from the flesh and choose the presence of God over all the things of this world, to include ourselves, the enemy, and just the world itself. I pray that'll be the case for you. I I know as we walk through life, God uh, gives us all kinds of credit for us us desiring his will, even when we're not real good at walking in it. And I love that about God. God knows that this is just almost impossible. If it weren't for him, it wouldn't even be be feasible to think about. But because of him, we can in many ways each and every day glorify him by walking according to his will and his way. And the more we do it, the more glory he receives because what we're doing is literally a miracle that we would ever even choose him over ourselves and our flesh and the world is just a miracle of God. And I praise God that he gives us that. You're walking in uh, miracle times because God is revealing himself in a really lost and decaying, dying world. And I want you to know that God is excited about you doing that. And he's he's more than overjoyed with it. And I pray that you'll experience that more and more each day. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope 
and peace today in Jesus' name.